Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bravo and the Brits, the podcast with a distinctly English take on all things reality TV. I'm here on this fine Sunday afternoon with the ineffable, (laughs) the ineffable, inimitable Faith Richardson. Hi, everyone. What an intro. Do you know what? I'm actually just going to keep that as is. Yeah, absolutely. I want to make it real. Yeah. <laughs> How is your Sunday treating you? It's not too bad. I've I've been very crafty today and I've done done some paper mache and then try to design design our um wedding invites, which I thought would be very easy as I'm, you know, pretty proficient on the computer and at illustrations and stuff, and it's so fucking hard. Have you yeah. got a theme? Um, well, because all like, all of our wedding stuff's like very sort of like colourful and quirky and weird. So I was like, I'll keep it really like colourful and like a little bit gothy because obviously the pair of us are a bit alternative and stuff and I was just like so I drew some like red skeleton hands like making a heart and then everything after that just looks like a GCSE art class so <laughs> for the day <laughs> I like the idea of the heart skeleton yeah like that's kind of worked really well but then everything else is just not functioning so I got as far as typing the words save the date and then was just like that's enough for one day <laughs> To be fair, I'm impressed. It's two o'clock. I was up at nine. Somehow the only thing I've done is, well, I watched this episode and I printed out one piece of paperwork for my tax return. So that's been all that I've achieved today. So I think you're still winning. I feel like that's what Sundays are for, though. They're for the kind of the very bare minimum. I did see that you did like a emo themed quiz night on Instagram. I did. Yeah, it was Greg's idea because obviously we were both like massive like emo kids back in the early noughties. So we had like a full themed quiz of like like it, like emo music questions and then we had like a paranormal round and then a true crime round. It was so good. That is amazing. That is such a good idea. Who was your go-to like emo band? Oh, see, well, Greg will debate with me on this one because we have very opposing ideas of what constitutes an emo band. But I'm always a big fan of either My Chemical Romance or Taking Back Sunday. Okay, I don't know Taking Back Sunday. <gasps> no, you should listen to them. They're really good. Okay, are they? I was heavy, heavy Panic at the Disco. <gasps> I love Panic at the Disco so much. <laughs> a fever you can't sweat out. Yeah. I listened to, I was on a transatlantic flight and I had my Discman and I had that CD and I just listened to that album for about six hours nonstop. I think, I think we were going to New York. Incredible. And then I just, I knew all of the lyrics and everything. And then I really liked them up until they did that awful nine in the afternoon song yeah they went rapidly downhill from there but then they bounced back with their most recent oh I don't think I've heard their recent one I'll have to give it a listen it's so good it's got um fuck a silver lining in it it's got high hopes oh I liked high hopes actually yeah that album that album yeah 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 it's not like it's not actually recent now yeah (laughs) <laughs> over a year old <laughs> but I yeah they bounced back I was always like super into like fallout boy as well oh fallout boy of course yeah I went to see fallout boy I saw them at um, Leeds Fest I was so disappointed because the sound quality wasn't great and I was genuinely heartbroken oh that sucks my friends in Belgium won um like our version of MTV is called Energy. <laughs> And she won an NRG competition to go to, like, the NRG Awards. Oh, my God. She literally sat 
just behind Pete Wentz and like all of Fallout Boy at the awkward oh. ceremony. But as like an awkward 14 year old, can you imagine? Yeah. I think I would have hated that. Yeah, I could do it now, but I think as like a teenager, I'd have just been so supremely like out of my comfort zone. Whereas like now I feel like I could style it out and pretend I belonged there. I know, yeah, you could just pretend to be an emo songstress. I mean, I saw you really committed to the eyeliner, you had some extra piercings in. I was like, it took it's me a look. It took me seven cotton wool pads to get all the eyeliner off, and I still had to go to bed with some of it on. <laughs> You're a regular Amy Lee. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> oh, Evanescence was amazing as oh well. Oh my god, yes. <sighs> god, they were so good. I know. I literally we spent like after we got off the quiz, we literally just sat last night and got hammered on like cocktails and drinks and just watched old like naughty's emo alternative music videos on like youtube that is such a dream evening in it was so good (laughs) (laughs) so i'm really upset because i floated what i thought was a really good alternative idea so i did um a quiz with some of my school friends a few weeks ago where we did it about like school Mm -hmm. so we had um you know like guess the trip that the photograph was taken on we did a where are they now with people that we went to school with and you had to like guess their city and like their job role um I did the golden era Facebook from like 2008 through to about 2010 all the like cringe statuses we used to put up and you had to guess it's really good but like it was kind of effort to put together because you had to like go back on people's timelines and stuff yeah so I floated as an alternative concept right Eurovision by the Eurobrats so what you would do is you'd get randomly assigned a country so you would get I don't know Ukraine or something and then you have to go and find like a Ukrainian music video to submit as your entry like obviously has to be very on brand for Eurovision so it has to be camp ridiculous like slightly weird kooky catchy kind of poppy techno And then we would do like a viewing party and we would all vote like you would do in Eurovision. And then we'd have like a dedicated Terry Wogan to announce the results. Now, I think that sounds like a really fun thing to do. Okay. Incredible. One person responded saying, ha ha ha, wow. (laughs) And then no one else responded. So then I just sent a really pissy message being like, look, I was just trying to fill the void in my heart but like don't worry about it whatever I can tell that you're not into this (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I'm obsessed I think that's a brilliant idea I can't believe more people went into it thank you I felt so shot down (laughs) (laughs) my friends just floated the idea of doing a drag race themed like quiz week and we all have to do like our best drag makeup and outfits which I'm very excited for that is amazing (laughs) I like that. I found a picture from uni the other day because I, like you, I've been going through my phone trying to free up space. We all swapped genders in our house. So we did male drag and I just look, (laughs) I look too comfortable as a man. (laughs) I'll just say that much. All the boyfriends dressed up in drag. It was quite fun. I love that idea. That's so good. (laughs) So I think whatever you do, you should get Greg a drag. Yeah. <laughs> I got him as far as a Bob Ross um, outfit for Halloween, which was all his own doing. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. What was your last Halloween outfit? 
Oh, I had to do super basic last, yeah, because um, we had like a really, really last minute party and I didn't have anything. So I just went as like the bog standard cat. Um, of course. Of <laughs> Yeah, before that I did Maleficent and I handmade my own staff and horns and everything. Oh my God, that's so cool. But I literally like crafted them all out of like cardboard and an old broom handle and like a polystyrene ball and all this shit. I was so proud of it. It was so good. That does sound amazing. I hope you have photo evidence. I do. I'll have it somewhere. And I also went as a ventriloquist dummy the year before and Greg went as a magician. And it was when he still had quite a big beard and he shaved all of his beard off except the moustache, like for like fully committed to the costume. And then he kept the moustache for days afterwards. I was like, don't come near me until you shave that off. Oh my God, no, I can't. <laughs> can't cope with that it was not too much Um, there's something about ventriloquist dummies that they're just really satanic to me yeah they're really really scary so I thought it'd be a perfect Halloween costume (laughs) did you do it's the line from like the corner of the mouth yeah I did like a full I did it with like shading and everything and then I managed to shade my cheeks into these like perfect like overly rounded um, ones it was so good I'll find a photo and send it to you Please do. That sounds fully terrifying. Anyway, should we get into the app? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, straight away, I was thrilled because we're back at the boxing club. I am but, so this guy. I want him to have a spin-off. He deserves so much more airtime. What What would the premise of the spin-off be? I think it could be like a really, really good like therapy for rich old white ladies. <laughs> Yes, so I was thinking that as well. I think something like um, celebrity dating rehab, where they all come in and they have to work through their issues, but with like a physical component. But then also maybe at one point they like turn it around on him. And we get to learn about his journey and his trauma and like how he got to the place that he is and how he how he's built himself up into such a bastion of sort of strength, both physical and mental. I think we should pitch this. I think we're onto a real winner. So he's like a he's a personal trainer. He's a boxing trainer. Yeah. But he's also he's definitely got this like tough guy TM persona. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, those like scared straight programs where they send people into like send a group of kids into like prisons and then they like allocate somebody to try and like put them off the wayward lifestyle. That sounds amazing. I've never watched that. Have you not? Oh my god, there's so many. They're fantastic. There also used to be one called Brat Camp, where they just packed off a group of like hideous, snotty English teenagers to like the Nevada desert or something, and they had to go through what was essentially just like military training, where they just broke these kids down, and it was like savage, but it was such good TV. Yeah, and I bet it was highly effective because I yeah. bet rats in the UK weren't getting the discipline they needed. Exactly. So yeah, I feel like I could fully imagine like taking on that role. I remember World's Strictest Parents. Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh, that was a BBC Three one, and they'd get these teenagers from like spoiled British families, and they'd get sent to like Uganda or Korea, and basically in a different culture, kind of experience what it's like to live with a family. And that was so good. That was such that good. Fantastic. Oh, I know what I'm doing next week. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I think you'll have to mine the archives because it got cancelled quite a while ago. But, yeah. you know, they were just, it was so good to see these, like, horrible, spoiled little English kids. 
first, first off get pissed off then they'd get like sorry for themselves and then eventually they'd come to the realization of oh my god I have it so good and like these people have you know either like less than me or you know this is a different culture and you know they actually seem so much happier and more stable as a result and it was quite nice to there was always like a good resolution I feel yeah I'm definitely gonna have to get that watched so we open up with possibly the most heterosexual display of anything ever I mean I think he was literally throwing a football to some firefighters in a truck yeah as they drove past him (laughs) and then the firefighters throw it back to him and then he throws it he goes hey Tinsdale (laughs) and he just chucks the ball at her and she squeals and like catches it she's walking towards the gym so this was just a wild opening sequence but I loved it I did as well and you could tell that was the first time Tinsley has literally ever touched a football in her entire lifetime (laughs) yeah she doesn't strike me as uh someone into the rough and tumble of contact sport yeah uh, Lou, Dorinda and Leah meeting for a walk. Which was kind of a weird little trio, but I guess they're kind of trying to establish like other relationships for Leah to have amongst the women as well. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I thought it was just going to be Lou and Dorinda, which made more sense. So yeah. Leah joining was a bit strange. Maybe they're just kind of like trying to sort of shoehorn her into a few other situations that like aren't tingly adjacent. Yeah, show her on both sides as the mediator. Yeah. Um, then we go to Ramona and Sonia and they're in the park now <laughs> they literally greet each other like do you remember being in primary school and you'd go back after the summer holidays and you'd like see all your friends again yeah like sneak up on them and then you'd like squeal and be like oh my god and then you'd like have like a big hug that's what this reminded me of it was and it's exactly the same thing it's like you know when you have seen them all summer long but somehow seeing them back in like a school context makes it so much more like, oh my God, it feels like so long. I feel like this was exactly it for them. It's like, oh, we've only been in the city for like a few days, but we've been away all summer, probably together. But oh, the city. <laughs> <laughs> I So we go back to the boxing gym. So this we learn that this man is called Martin. Martin, we've already discussed, is our, our new favourite character. Absolutely. I think him and Tinsley should engage in a romantic relationship. Oh, can you imagine how much good it would do her? I feel like he's exactly the kind of man that she needs, really. I I think I think he would make her lose her inhibitions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say he'd ravish her. <laughs> he'd show her a good time. He'd show her a good time and give her an opportunity to maybe work through some stuff physically. (laughs) So we cut back to something we missed out on seeing um, in the last scene where they were in this kind of boxing environment where Tinsley just starts openly crying in the boxing ring. I found this so uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, and she's like, I just feel like I'm not living my best life and I should be living my best life. And then Martin just has very limited empathy and I don't blame him. No, you can tell he doesn't give a shit how these socialites live. It's so far removed from his real world that he just doesn't even know what to do with it. Yeah, and again, this is why I think he would be the perfect person to actually date Tinsley. Absolutely. I'm so on board with this as a, as a concept. 
because I actually think just like all big beefy men that make a big show of how big and beefy they are, they're absolute kittens. Yeah, a hundred percent. They're always softies at heart. They are, and actually, it's the ones that are always kind of bitchy and you know sly and two faced, and they're always the ones that are not particularly nice. Yeah, no, it's such a consistent concept. It's like big bear syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> maybe bear is the wrong word. <laughs> connotations. <laughs> big, big, beefy, <laughs> big, beefy bubba. <laughs> no (laughs) definitely not so Tinsley is kind of treating Martin as some kind of proxy therapist that she can simulate beating the crap out of which actually feels like a very sensible move to me in some ways yeah I agree as well I think it's actually she's probably found exactly where she should be (laughs) like this is probably the ultimate kind of therapy for her where it's like not therapy but sort of therapy at the same time I can't imagine she's one that's very good at actively sort of talking about assessing her emotions but for this she just gets to be sort of minorly hysterical for a good hour or so yeah I think so I think she gets to she's kind of exercising her neurotic energy whereas I think if she was just in a therapist's office kind of having a conversation you don't get that same outlet and I think you could kind of just talk yourself in circles so she needs that kind of physical thing where she can kind of bound around a bit and get a bit sweaty and teary without being so static if that makes sense yeah no I I I completely agree with this and I also think it's kind of that thing of like because she is such a talker and she tends to spiral whereas like Martin asks her such direct like to the point questions and as soon as she starts to fluff he's like no but what do you want but what do you want and she's like oh oh my god (laughs) and she even said doesn't she like it gets you sort of think about like things much more directly so this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to Tinsley yeah yeah I think so like you say he's he forces her to just like cut the crap and come to a conclusion whereas if you had two hours sitting at the therapist you would just it would just be word vomit I think plus she gets to combine this form of therapy with an actual physical workout so who doesn't love that exactly you're saving yourself hours hours and hours of time and killing two birds with one stone. I mean, I'd be on board with it. <laughs> She's also wearing an I love my mom t-shirt throughout all of this. I hadn't noticed that. <laughs> yeah, she just got a t-shirt with a big heart on it that says I love my mom. And it's like, fair. <laughs> Classic. Kind of, kind of a weird vibe. Yeah, especially for a boxing gym, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> Martin um, cannot compute the name Dorinda. I loved when he was just saying, where do you guys get these names from? (laughs) But this is the thing, he's so good for her because when she's talking about wanting to live her best life and she's like, and for me to do that, it needs to be in a box. The box that she wants to live her best life in is so clearly like a, a socioeconomic one. And I think that she needs contact with I think she needs to interact with people that don't neatly fit into that box to give us some sense of perspective so Martin being like where the fuck do you get these names (laughs) that's good he needs to continue with that because I think he needs to make Tinsley aware of her own privilege yes so much yes to this it's like what Leah was saying about these women like never interacting with anybody from like truly downtown like there's like the the rich white 
upper class downtown and then there's like the proper gritty downtown and you can tell all of them like especially Tinsley have just never been around people from that sort of like environment or that kind of background and things so it's actually really good for her to see like a different way of life and different perspectives. Tinsley says that she's gotten into a confrontation with Dorinda and she's like I mean it wasn't physical Martin's like (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really expecting you to be engaging in physical warfare (laughs) at this stage. I did make that assumption that it was purely verbal. (laughs) I mean, nobody looks at Tinsley and thinks she's been having a cat fight in the middle of a bar or something. I could could see her, like, pulling some hair, throwing a drink. Yeah, the very sort of, like, the basic, like, girl way of fighting. I could see her scratching. Yeah, oh, she's definitely a scratcher. She, yeah, you know that she like just clings on with those little claws. Dorinda <laughs> truly feels like she's tried to be friendly with Tinsley, but she's like, I'm over it. It's done. I mean, I don't feel like she has tried to be friendly with Tinsley. I think she's just got an immediate like gripe about the fact that she's not like immediately warm to her and is therefore taking it out on her. And like Leah said as well, like considering she's always like, oh, I'm so over it. I'm so over it. I don't even like her. It's fine. It's done. Like she spends all of her time and energy talking about Tinsley and this like situation with Tinsley and what's wrong with her and what's, you know, the issue. Oh, but she does care. She does care. You know, she is latching onto these grudges. And just like she did with Luanne last season, you know, there will ultimately be a reconciliation. But to say that she's not bothered by it and she's kind of trying to disengage from it it's just such a blatant lie it is and I think the thing for me as well is like it's the difference between I don't think she is actually like she's saying that she's bothered because she feels like Tinsley doesn't share with her I don't think she's actually bothered by that at all I think she's just bothered by the fact that there's somebody out there who isn't bending to her every will which I think is what her real issue is it's nothing to do with Tinsley per se it's that she's just so used to probably people tripping over themselves to do whatever she says that as soon as somebody doesn't do it she's like oh well they're just an awful human yeah I agree I think it's almost um completely separate it's not conditional actually on Tinsley's behavior it's just like okay this is the object of my displeasure you know because I said so exactly and I mean we see that later on obviously with like all of Dorinda's hypocrisy about the sharing stuff it's so blatantly obvious that it's purely because she's not getting her own way Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now uh, back at the gym, Tinsley and Martin are simulating a fight. <laughs> it looks like, I don't know if Greg plays video games, but it reminded me of when I used to like seize control of the Tekken. Yeah. And had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and they're just kind of like dancing around each other rather than actually. That's literally me. You just hammer all the buttons and kind of hope for the best. And you spend a lot of it sort of like the opposite side of the screen just flailing limbs yeah <laughs> martin goes pretend i'm dorito and fight me <laughs> which i loved and then he also does some like on the go psychoanalysis as they're sparring as well i truly love this i mean it did look like like every like middle school playground fight where there's just a lot of flailing and a lot of 
misplaced contact but nobody's getting hurt and nobody's really making any attempt at some sort of connection it's going through the motions of a fight without actually fighting it's a beautiful choreography but nothing more (laughs) so he suggests that maybe tinsley shouldn't be such a pushover if she wants to be happy so then we go back to the other ladies and Lou cites Dale's overbearing nature and her Southern heritage, um, which I hadn't ever really thought about in this context, but that probably does massively play into the very traditional norms that she's aspiring to. Yeah, I kind of, obviously, like, not being from American stuff, like, you have, like, the Southern family stereotypes and that kind of thing. And I mean, I don't know how true they are, but I imagine they're probably fairly accurate. Um and yeah, I guess it does like stuff like that. It's a very southern thing to want those like the big family and the the tradition. I mean, even just looking at like the way that Brittany and her family are in Vanderpump Rules, it's probably something very similar to that, just on a much more elitist level. <laughs> yeah, I think probably like their social class as well that exaggerates things, just because those people do tend to be more conservative. I would say. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think it's kind of nice that Luann's right, that she's saying, like, Dorinda just needs to accept Tinsley for the person that she is rather than trying to force these ideals of who Dorinda thinks Tinsley should be onto her. Oh, my God, sorry. Slightly adjacent, just speaking about the South, I was listening to a podcast the other day where the host is from Texas and said that, and I don't know if this is still the case, but it was in, like, the early 2000s, it was illegal to sell vibrators in Texas. So they used to be sold as like novelty cake toppers for bachelorette parties. Like they had to be officially sold as that. That's insane. Up until when, sorry? I, I don't, it might still be the case. Like I don't actually know. That's crazy. I hate that kind of like imposing like it's supposed to be like obviously a separation like church and state and I imagine a lot of those views come from a very religious point of view and I just think it's such bullshit that they implement laws like that that take sort of ownership of that sort of stuff away from women it's just madness because at least I mean obviously I'm (laughs) pro-choice all the way but at least you can I can understand that a bit more from a religious standpoint in terms of like the holy soul, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you want to stop women having orgasms? Like, what's in it for you? Oh, is it so you don't have to compete? Yeah, it is. It probably comes from a massive inferiority complex of some like rich old white guy somewhere higher up in the the nether regions of the south. I mean, I always say, you know, you're not going to beat the robots. You have to learn to cooperate with them. (laughs) And there's truly no better way to cooperate with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Tinsley is just not, she's not like typical New York City in many ways. You know, she wants the husband. She wants the happy home. She wants the babies. She's not really a career woman, is she, in any sense? She's very much a kind of content to sort of be a homemaker and a housewife and that sort of thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, it's not something that I would personally enjoy, but it's obviously a very popular choice for a lot of women. So she doesn't cook. I saw a fridge tour that she did on Twitter. And okay, so this was the most horrifying thing to me. She had red wine in the fridge. No. Like, what are you doing? And then she also had, you know, those little goldfish biscuits. She had them in the fridge. (laughs) Do you think she just puts everything in the fridge because she can't differentiate between different storage methods? So this was literally the elements of her fridge. So there was the red wine, weird. 
the goldfish in there, weird. Some dog food, fine, fair enough, that's good. Then an empty box of caviar. <laughs> and then she had like an opened pack of blinis and a bit of creme fraiche left from the caviar. But she was like, yeah, I had this caviar ages ago. Like, I don't know, I guess I just thought the box was really pretty. So I kept it. <laughs> it's like, okay, but in the fridge? Yeah, if you think yeah, if you think it's that nice, go put it somewhere else in your apartment. Don't leave it in the fridge. I oh, mean, I unbearable. I don't know if she gets room service every night or whatever, but I was quite surprised. And then she was like, well, the good thing about not having much in your fridge is it keeps you skinny. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. I guess. Yeah, eating will do that to you, but... Yeah, I don't think, like, your husband coming home from a long work day would be thrilled with that attitude. Yeah. But... Yeah, I feel like if you want to sort of buy into the the whole housewife homemaker ideals, it's probably best to be able to have something apart from caviar, well, empty boxes of caviar and half-eaten bellinis in the fridge. <laughs> I feel like she would be a great housewife, but she would just actually outsource all of her housewifing duties. So she'd have a cook, she'd have a cleaner, she'd have a nanny. Yeah, oh no, 100%. She'd like, I do it all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I manage. <laughs> interestingly I actually um I was reading the other day that Tinsley actually wrote a book um it's kind of like a classic like chick lit book about some like a southern belle that moves to New York and has this like big grand awakening of the big city sort of thing and I was like that makes a lot of sense yeah that's for sure ghost written yeah there is not a cat in hell's chance that she wrote that herself (laughs) I would have loved to ghostwrite that book I would as well I feel like I could write really good chick lit (laughs) I think you should do it. I genuinely, I have considered it. I've considered sort of writing like a little novel, novelette kind of thing. I I support you. You could always self-publish. I know, I did think about that. I've been doing some research the last few weeks, so it's definitely on my list of projects I need to get going with. I love it. (laughs) So Mona thinks it's really great that Timsey stopped seeing Brian, by which she means Bruce. Yeah. (laughs) because she would usually try and make things work even if they weren't like ideal and she wasn't really into that person I mean she's not wrong that is sort of very much Tinsley's MO in life is just like just make it work because it's better than being alone so it was nice that she actually took control a little bit and left that relationship but I do love Ramona's like consistent power play of just getting people's names wrong and you know it's on purpose Oh, and I've listened to loads of podcasts and stuff. This is what she's like in real life. Like, some days she'll remember you and be your best mate. Sometimes she'll just blank you completely. I would just love to be in her head. Like, I want to know what the thought process is. I would as well. And you know what it is? I would genuinely, I'd be thrilled even if she did just forget who I was. If we'd met a handful of times, and even if she just forgot who I was, I'd be like, oh, I've even registered in your consciousness. (laughs) It would be enough. Yeah. Just to have shared the same air. Yeah. (laughs) So between Ramona and Sonia, they kind of decide among them that actually Dorinda's the one being unreasonable here and Dorinda's the one that has the problem. And they think it might be down to the fact that Tinsley leads this very cushy lifestyle and Dorinda's lacking at the moment or feels that she's lacking the emotional stability that Richard always gave her. So I actually think they might be onto something with this analogy. Like when they were saying it, I was like, that does actually make sense. Because I think, like obviously Dorinda's so nostalgic for this life where she was taken care of and she had this really glamorous, luxurious, like 
relatively easy life and then obviously she lost it all with Richard and she's obviously made it for herself as well but I think she does just miss having somebody that like proper takes care of her yeah and what I thought was interesting in this episode was it sounds like John came on the scene very swiftly after Richard's death yeah and I imagine it was probably one of those things where it was like comforting like more than romantic or sort of like that kind of true involvement and love and that sort of thing so I imagine it was kind of came from a place of like she wanted the comfort and then it just became even more comfortable as the time went on yeah I mean towards the end of the episode when she's kind of saying she doesn't really have much of a sex drive and she's more just kind of wanting to be around someone be be held I know and I find that quite sad because I mean it is that thing like I'm not a particularly tactile person in that sense like I I've never, when I've been, like, single for prolonged periods of time or anything, I've never been somebody that's kind of like, oh, I miss having, like, just having a cuddle and things like that. Like, I don't really subscribe to that kind of, <laughs> like, physical, romantic kind of thing. It's just not my deal. But I can imagine if that is something that you really enjoy in your relationships, that it would be the biggest thing that you would miss. Because it's easy to go out and, well, I say easy. In theory, it's easy to go out and find somebody that you can, like, have a one-night stand with and, like, have sex with and that kind of thing. But that sort of level of intimacy is probably quite hard to come across. Yeah, yeah. I, I it, I, it is easy. I think as women, it's easy. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I mean, we do have the other half, let's be honest. Depends <laughs> how much you want to, like, compromise yeah. on your standards sometimes, of course. Yeah. But. <laughs> but if that's your only goal and intention, then... We do have the upper hand. Yeah, you you can fulfil it, whereas it's a lot harder to find someone that's going to give you, like, a bit of that other side of things as well. Yeah, definitely. And Ramona's kind of saying that John isn't of the same breed as Richard. You know, I'm really fascinated by the class system in America. It seems to be a lot more driven by just the ownership of wealth. Yeah, and I think it comes a lot from that kind of, like, old money, new money kind of separation. Because, I mean, John never struck me as not being well off, do you know what I mean? He always kind of came across as having money and he owns business and all that sort of thing. So I think a lot of it comes from people, they consider the upper class to be people of old money. Yeah, because they don't have, because you see here, I would say upper class is almost almost independent of money because you have a lot of landed gentry that own vast swathes of like I don't know Yorkshire or Northumberland or Jedburgh um, but they live in these crumbling country houses that have been passed on but they're actually like they're cash poor yeah and they don't have the kind of disposable income that's yeah, it's all tied up in the land in the house yeah and then they don't have the same sort of like actual physical wealth as somebody who say like has just started like a really successful business or I don't know like footballers and things like that and people that are famous from like celebrity purposes so I think we have a very different way of looking at class and wealth than America does yeah and I think the fact that I mean obviously we have you know Oxbridge and stuff here but in America your ability to get into an Ivy League seems to be so much more linked to money whereas here if you kind of count out Cambridge and Oxford they're still like super Etonian yeah you know to go to a Russell Group uni or a Red Brick uni like that's pretty accessible for most people yeah it's based more on merit and credit than just being able to buy your way into it 
Yeah, yeah. Whereas, <laughs> you know, in America, it's like, oh, if you <laughs> donate, you know, X amount of money to yeah. renovate the wing of the the science yeah. faculty, Build you know, the library. <laughs> Yeah, it, it kind of seems a lot more linked to that. Yeah, and I mean, it's that thing, like, on on paper and sort of legally, it's not that, but it is that, and everybody knows it's that. Yeah, and, like, I've gone out with people before where my mum has just been like, yeah, you're you're probably not, like, the, the, right, <laughs> the right breed, you know? <laughs> you're not, like, she's been like, well, you're not, like, blue blood, and, you know even though I am very privileged and I am very middle class, like my parents were self-made, you know, grew up sort of working class and I I don't have like the social kudos that would be expected or, you know, I don't hunt or haven't been to certain kind of races and things like that, which in some areas of like the English class system is actually like quite important. Yeah, I exactly the same way. It's like both my parents were sort of very sort of like working class growing up. Like my mom's parents are cleaners and like that kind of thing. And both my parents were self-made and like I consider us to be like very middle class, obviously went to like private schools and that sort of thing. But there was also a very clear divide even for me at private school where I was like I could tell that I was like a different kind of middle class than other people there yeah I get that like you yeah I I completely get that I think because I was an expat and it was like European school and basically all of my friends parents had the same job as my dad so they were all civil servants so we were all more or less on an even footing whereas if I'd have gone to private school in the UK you know, you have people ranging from like, you know, the kids of the aristocracy all the way through to the kids of business people or, you know, people yeah. in politics, whatever. Like it, it's a lot more varied. And like within that, there's different social strata. Yeah, no, it's exactly the same. And it's also a weird thing of like location wise, because obviously like I went to a really, really good private school in the northeast. But the people that were at that private school, like I was on a different tier to the people there but then also we collectively got a different tier to people who did go to say like Eton and that kind of thing it's just wild yeah I know I could yeah <laughs> it's a complex structure <laughs> essentially Wait, everybody's superior <laughs> My brief flirtation with an Etonian who actually I I do really like him or I, I did really like him at the time um we're like friendly now but it was just kind of wild some of the conversations we'd have and like I remember we were looking at like tours of North Korea and he was like yeah I can't go though and I was like oh how come and he was like oh the foreign office has banned me from going I oh no sorry we were looking at Russia we were looking at Russia and I was like oh how come and he was like oh something about my dad and some oil (laughs) and I was like okay wow (laughs) yeah like it's just nothing (laughs) yeah that was kind of kind of crazy Um, but it you know it's fun to be around these people when they're nice and actually I think for the most part like they're all pretty nice um but I do realize that you know (laughs) there's no way that I'm gonna get taken home and like introduced to the family as a (laughs) pro-Europe 
art knowledge <laughs> going. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting to see how these ladies like perceive those things and is it linked to wealth is it linked to social status is it linked to your occupation you know she's like oh did John even go to college you know is that important yeah and I find that so bizarre and it's such like an old-fashioned way of thinking I don't know if it comes just from her age or from American kind of culture but I don't know how it's perceived over there to not have a college education but the way that she said it made it sound like despite the fact that he's obviously very successful and has his own business and things that because he didn't go to college irrespective of where he ended up he's on a different level yeah I, I mean especially with how expensive it is yeah and because they don't have things like student loans I don't think over there they just have to like pay it or take out like a bank loan to pay it the, yeah I, there's no like government loan which is insane yeah. I remember my dad had a friend who went to law school and I think when when he turned 62 he paid off his student loans and he was like working as you know a successful lawyer for that entire time and that's how long it took that is so so insane I mean I'll be paying off my student debt until I'm god knows how long (laughs) but you don't have to start paying it back until you're earning over a certain amount right yeah it's like you get I think it's over like 21 or 22 thousand pounds a year like in earnings and then you can literally pay them like five pounds a month back for it. And then oh. if you never make it up to that, I think after 30 years, they just wipe it clean anyway. Yeah. Well, that seems better, like rather than people just getting into these. So I, like I will criticise the British government forever, but God, I recognise that, it's, yeah. you know, it's good in many ways as well. So, yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. I mean, the structures that we have in place compared to some American, well, a lot of American sort of government policies are so much better the one thing that I do sometimes get the impression from I mean I've spent quite a lot of time in America but not for about six or seven years so this was when I was more kind of in my teens um and as a child it does seem to be easier to make a lot of money there yeah I I don't know why that is no I don't I don't really understand what it is I don't know if it's just the way that the system's set up or if there's more opportunity there or what but it definitely seems much easier to make like large sums of money than it is to do it in England. That's the prevailing sense that I get. And I don't know if it's because like property is a bit cheaper, so you don't have to like tie up a load of cash in that. I don't know if it's that like you can get investment a lot easier for a business, but could be. It could well be. Because I mean, it is like obviously if you exclude big cities like New York and LA and things. Obviously, like the price of property in sort of more rural parts of America is so insanely cheap compared to here. Oh, my God. Yeah, massively. Which makes me very jealous. I keep seeing these amazing houses and just being like, oh, the dream. I th- I'm going to move to Montreal, I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Canada's a good halfway point. Yeah, yeah. And then you can like hop across the border. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, not right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> America is like the snotty kid in the corner at the party that like no one wants to touch or go near right now because it's just like oh it's just like messy and like unpredictable and (laughs) you don't know if it's gonna like turn around and like smear snot on you yeah or like sneeze on you (laughs) lick you (laughs) wow 
So we pop back to the boxing ring and uh, we learn that congratulations, you are the antidote to doubt, Faith. How do you feel? (laughs) I mean, it's truly an honour that I've worked my whole life for. So I'd just like to take a moment to thank you for your support. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. He is such a solid pep talk. I don't know that he's workshopping these lines. If he is, you know, fair dues. I know. And if he is, he's delivering them expertly. Yeah. (laughs) And then we finally get to Celia's apartment, which was quite exciting. I was so excited for this moment. She's got like a skateboard up on the wall. I personally, I know we didn't get to see much of it, but I love the look of it. I did as well. I thought it was like the perfect kind of like understated, like, chic and modern and trendy but didn't feel like cluttered or stuffy I thought it was really really nice and it's probably out of all the women's apartments it's the one I'd want to live in the most yeah yeah I would say so I mean no maybe somewhere with a bit more space but then I'd redecorate yeah Yeah. (laughs) but to me her apartment was like small but it was perfectly formed and then she's just like sometimes it's not about the size it's about the vibe and I was There are so many areas in life where that is true. One thousand percent. So they're kind of sitting on the sofa. They're deconstructing Lou's vodka moment. And Lou says she hasn't had a big problem with alcohol. And they were kind of talking about how their relationship with alcohol has been kind of catastrophized. Um, I think it's kind of it's quite interesting because obviously, like, we sort of only have the real recent issues with Luann's drinking but I mean before that stuff in Miami I don't really think it was ever questioned whether she was an alcoholic or had a problem with alcohol and obviously we don't know Leah's life in the way that we know Luann's but from what she was saying it sounds like both of them kind of had like maybe a pinnacle moment where they went too far but before that it wasn't necessarily like an overwhelming problem. Yeah, I I kind of, I see where they're coming from in some respects. And I I can sense the frustration of when you feel that you have something under control and people keep um, sort of blowing it out of proportion. But I, I think it is difficult to comment on because, you know, if you are getting drunk to the point of breaking the law hurting yourself or hurting other people, you know, it's, it's hard to say that there's not some kind of destructive habit there. Yeah, definitely. And I I think it's that thing as well. I think for both of them, they both seem like such stubborn women who like don't like being told that they can't do something. So it makes them sort of twice as determined to prove that they do have control over something or do have a handle on it. So I imagine the more people are telling them both that they shouldn't drink or that they don't have as much of a grasp on it, the more they want to prove that they do. Yeah, I think... um... I think they don't want to be patronised. I think that's kind of the overarching theme and I, I completely understand that. I think there's there's nothing more irritating, but I yeah. think they're interpreting some of the genuine concern as that. Yeah, and I think they kind of think it's really misguided when I think it's probably very justified. It's just finding the moment for it and just finding when like, a balance of like where they feel like they're in control of it but also where the people around them aren't worried because I always think it's very telling when a lot of people around you are concerned about you because obviously to outside points of view it's much easier to see things than it is to see things in yourself so I think they should listen to people a bit more yeah yeah like if the, if the general consensus is like steady on yeah 
there's <laughs> probably something to that. But Luann is like, the training wheels are off. I'm ready to get back in there, muck in on the boozing, which, I mean, it does bode well for the season. Yeah. <laughs> TV-wise, it should be a really, really good season. But I do sort of feel kind of worried slash bad for her. And then we go back to the park and page six has run an article about Dorinda and John taking a break and she confirms in the testimonial that it's true. So did we ever find out if they're back together or not? Or is this definitely a conclusive end to their relationship? I don't I don't think they got back together. Let me just have a quick look on her IG. Dorinda Medley. You see, I don't really follow anyone on IG because I, I don't like having the spoilers to that extent yeah. <laughs> oh okay so she's three days ago she's put up a YouTube video saying the truth about John oh I'm on YouTube live 10pm to clear the air you liked this post Faith oh I clearly didn't read it <laughs> <laughs> just without question yeah I just, I'm just blindly supportive of everything <laughs> I mean he doesn't appear on her IG no, I think it's probably been the like the end of it then. It's probably been amicable from what but, I can tell. And I kind I, of like what she said where she was like, oh, he's always got like a seat at my table, which I think is a really nice perspective to have on things. Yeah, I, I thought that was sweet as well. Um, and so Lou's kind of talking about it and she says that John was around at the right time after Richard's passing to provide kind of a psychological clutch yeah, which is kind of what we were saying before. And I think it probably is quite a bit of truth in it. And I think kind of just what she was saying and what like a lot of women said, where it's like, they're just very different people. And I think it was always evident from the way that Dorinda talked about it is like he wasn't the right person for her. Like she was kind of used to having him there, but he wasn't really the person that she wants or needs. No, and I think that tension has been evident for a while and that, you know, she's been quite, she had always been very hesitant to fully integrate him into her life. Yeah, she kind of kept him at arm's length, like never moved him in or moved in with him and that kind of thing. Sonia is thrilled that Dorinda is back (laughs) being single, as she would be. Sonia just sees another wing woman in the mix. (laughs) Sonia, deep down, is secretly thrilled that every single one of these women's marriages have failed around her. Because she came in as like the sing- pretty much the only single one, and now they've all came down and joined her. So she just oh, I imagine all like Sonia can think of is how much fun she's going to have when they all get drunk. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You see, this is the problem that I have at the moment. I'm the only single one out of all of my friends. I have one friend who's like half single, <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it's a problem. No. I mean, to be fair, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like so many people, like pretty much all of my friends now are kind of like coupled off in relationships. And I feel like because we've all been in like long term ones, you've kind of reached the point where you get like, well, that's nice. I know that I've got that to go back to. So now I really want like a lot of girl time, and a lot of like independent time. Mm. Yeah. So you want to have like the girls nights out and stuff. Yeah. Rather than just everything being like relationship wise. It's like the honeymoon period's kind of over. And I'm like, it's fine. It's safe. It's comfortable. But I know I want to go and do things by myself. That's really nice. I would love to get to that stage of just, I mean, I don't think, I think you're like me. I don't think you're the kind of person that would ever get so just invested in like one person that that becomes your whole life. Like, I feel like you've always had other things going, but it would be nice to know that that was like 
baseline and then that you can like yeah. your creative energy on other things and absolutely I mean that was always my kind of like staple bottom line for getting into like any sort of like long-term relationship was like I always had to feel like I could essentially live my life as if I was by myself but just with this person yeah I think that's so healthy I think it's so bad when people ditch all their mates as soon as they get into something I can't bear it it's just the worst people have that friend that texts being like girls night out sometime soon it's like well they just got dumped (laughs) (laughs) I heard from you in four months And we always know. They always seem to think they're really subtle about it. It's like, no, we know. We all can tell. (laughs) And then Ramona makes me laugh. Ramona goes, I knew this would happen before she even knew it. Like, of course. Of course you had to get one up on her in this test. Like the omnipotent oracle just in the corner. Like, I just know everything before everybody else does. And nobody ever listens to me. (laughs) The blonde oracle of Delphi. (laughs) And I mean, to be fair, in the episode the other week when they were still in the Hamptons, when she was like, oh, she'll have a new guy by next week. Clearly, Ramona was right. That was prescient. That really was. (laughs) Leah says she knew much more about Richard, so she wasn't exactly surprised at the news. And then Tinsley thinks it's very telling that she had to find out about all of these goings on through page six. I did like that little sort of nip from Tinsley there. Because, I mean, it is sort of so hypocritical, but... But then again, I suppose in that context, like, if her and Dorinda aren't friends, then why would Dorinda tell her? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they basically all found out from page six. Yeah, I don't think it was, like, a Tinsley-specific thing. That's wild. Also, can we just take a really brief moment to remember page three? Oh my god, I was literally talking about this the other day as well, except I called it page six and Greg had to correct me. <laughs> he was like, it wasn't page six, Faith, it's called page three. I was like, oh yeah, that was right. You're such a good feminist that you don't even remember what page page three was on. <laughs> it's just so irrelevant to me. Locked it out to that level. Isn't it wild that newspapers used to just have boobs in them? I know, I find that so strange. Like You can't like have like swearing in it or anything like that. Tits, fine. The word fuck, not okay. I had a No More Page 3 t-shirt when I was at uni because that's when that whole like campaign was kicking off around 2013, 2014. Amazing. I would have liked one of those t-shirts to be like so vintage now that they'll be like worth a fortune because it was such like an iconic time. Yeah, I don't know where it went. I guess it was just like, yeah, just like a pyjama top basically. It probably out of the like 10 times I've moved since I've come to the UK it's probably just been lost along the way but page three wild I know such a weird concept also Leah's coffee table what was actually on it was that medication was that skincare like I was trying to work out on that tray yeah I was trying to figure out as well and I literally couldn't couldn't quite assess what it was I think it was just skincare stuff but I love that Luan just could never resist a little dig about it either. <laughs> Luan was fully horrified at the apartment. I know. Come on, honey. He could tell she'd never, like, ever step foot in somewhere that was that small. Luan has humble beginnings. This is what I don't understand. Or do we think she's just been living that lifestyle since her early 20s, so she's forgotten? Quite possibly. I imagine that Luan kind of strikes me as the kind of person that as soon as she hit the ability to like go out and sort of socialise with 
people higher up than her that from that point onwards she was just eternally climbing that ladder at every opportunity oh true I've been called a social climber on multiple occasions <laughs> like no I just like to be close to a seat of power that's all <laughs> it's always good to have that one degree of separation it's like if a communist calls you a social climber like that's not really saying much is it (laughs) (laughs) so they decide to head out of town on an autumnal retreat and they're loving their little upscale minivan they seem to have some kind of cheese plate situation going on some green smoothies in there that spread that they had out of the food is literally better than half the dinners I cooked for myself (laughs) And it was untouched. It was utterly untouched by any of them. <laughs> yeah, none of them were going for it. I also loved Sonia's sort of attempt to be like, oh, I think I'm going to have like a healthy day. Like, I don't really feel like drinking wine. I just want to, you know, I just want to have some some fruit and have a nice sort of chilled, healthy day. And it was like, bitch, who are you kidding? Oh, as soon as they got there, they were ordering <laughs> wine. As soon as they got to the weed orchards, <laughs> orchards and winery. This seemed like such a fun day. I'd have been so down for this on a weekend. Same. Like, this looked like such an amazing, like, trip out. I wish, like, England had much more things like this, but I don't think they do. (laughs) I mean, I could just cart you round a potato (laughs) field (laughs) and give you some cider. (laughs) What you want, Faith? (laughs) Arranged. I demand it. I'll accept nothing less now. (laughs) So they immediately have um, breakfast wine yeah, and then they go and sit down to some food and Elise brings up the John issue. It kind of seems like the house renovation has been a catalyst for everything. And she kind of explains that because her daughter's moved out and now John's out of the picture, like this is really the first time where she's consciously choosing to be alone. Yeah, which I think is quite a valid point as well. And I guess especially that sort of, I keep saying that age, like, she's, like, super, super old. But, I mean, she's not. But when you are at that kind of, like, point in your life, it must be quite a hard decision to sort of actively go, I'm going to be by myself. Yeah, I think just because by by the nature of what it is, the pool of people is yeah. so much smaller. Although there must be a spike in, like, late 40s, early 50s, because so many divorces of people I know happen around that age. I was going to say that seems to be kind of like the age of choice of people to like get separations and things. So, and I mean, it's not like she's like alone and friendless, like in the way that like, for example, my parents have like a few close friends and stuff, but they don't really see them all that often. And I mean, I don't know if it'd be different if they weren't married and they were single, whether they would see their friends more and stuff. But I mean, especially for Dorinda, like even housewives aside, I, she strikes me as somebody that's got quite a large social circle. So I can't imagine she's ever going to be like, spending weeks on end not speaking to people or seeing somebody yeah it it's a different kind of loneliness in that sense yeah. or aloneness I should say yeah. I guess it's more of like an emotional kind of aloneness than it is like a physical one and so Tinsley is not thrilled with a double standard <laughs> at the table she was fucking livid <laughs> Yeah, and then Dorinda starts going in on Tinsley, and I love that Elise called her out for being Manichaean. Yeah. <laughs> like, girl, that vocab, what a word. So I actually really like like Elise. Like, I can't tell if we're trying to gear up for her being like a full time one of the housewives, or whether she's just sort of here for the the friends of role and nothing more. 
because I feel like she's just suddenly at everything. I like her. I feel like she's stirring the pot just enough. I think yeah. she's coming out with just amazing verbiage. <laughs> she truly feels like she's like on a different planet to these women half the time as well. Yeah, I like her. I'd be up for her being a cast member, I think. I think, well. I think she'd be a good addition. Because it feels like she's sort of involved in really key like arguments and moments and things like that. So I feel like they're possibly sort of pushing it in that direction a bit. Yeah, I think it would be good. And Ramona is just glad that Tim's there <laughs> to deflect from Dorinda because she's like, I wouldn't want to be on the end of the race. <laughs> Which is just classic Ramonaism of like every woman for herself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's just like, throw Tinsley to the lions. <laughs> yeah. As long as it keeps her out of the way. <laughs> I'd really forgotten how like vicious Dorinda can get though. I think she's being so despicable here. So she just goes straight into this very, like, schoolgirl mocking tone. It's so irritating. It's so patronising because it's not even engaging in discourse. It's almost just nonsense, you know? Yeah, it's like arguing for the sake of arguing. Like, it's not like they're arguing about anything specific. Well, I mean, Tinsley's trying to make a specific point, but it feels like Dorinda's kind of lost the thread of why she's actually mad at Tinsley in the first place and she just turns on this like irritating disgusting like baby voice thing whenever she's talking to her and like she doesn't engage her in like an adult level which I think is so disrespectful it's kind of like when Leah confronted her about that comment and she just goes sorry sorry you know it was that same energy and I think like you say that's the most insulting thing because it's patronizing and I, yeah. I truly think there's nothing worse than oh. being patronised. I'd rather someone be just vicious, actually. I'm literally the same. I'd rather they literally sat and made a list of like 10,000 reasons why I'm the freaking antichrist <laughs> than just sort of be like, oh, I'm not even going to have a proper discussion with you. I'm just going to make fun of you and like talk down to you and treat you like a baby. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, you are, but what am I? Yeah. It is. It's a no one. <laughs> well, my dad could beat up your dad. <laughs> it is. It's just that sort of like babyish, like waffle of nothingness. And like, oh God, I just, I loathed her in this entire episode, to be fair. It was really weird. Like, I kept having brief moments where she seemed really human and really relatable. And then she would just ruin it in seconds by being so disgusting and I was like if she would just pack it in I feel like she could be really relatable and really sort of like identifiable and kind of quite soft but she's just so nasty and vicious it makes it really hard yeah and then I think when she does get upset about things so when she starts talking about Rich and gets upset like I don't actually think she's doing that to manipulate the situation I do genuinely think that she's just swinging wildly from mood to mood but I don't think it offsets her tone and Tinsley completely picks up on the fact that Dorinda is getting so het up about her so you know how can she claim to not give a shit if she's this you know overexcited about things it's like a toddler being told they can't have something and them getting kind of insolent yeah and then it just becomes all they can think about and they can't deviate from this notion of like projecting onto it 
Yeah, and so Tinsley eventually gets overwhelmed and walks away from the table sobbing. Lou's trying to comfort her. <laughs> and then Luann's like, you know what Obama used to do? <laughs> it's like, Lou, I don't think invoking Obama is going to be something that particularly <laughs> translates to Miss Mortimer. Like, with all due respect. <laughs> I appreciate what you were trying to do, but now is not the right time. <laughs> So Elise does a really good testimonial, I thought, where she says, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze Dorinda. Anyone can see how angry she is and how unstable she is. But she says she's actually scared of Dorinda. (laughs) I loved her for coughing to this because I also feel like I would be really, really wary of somebody like this because I just I can't trust people whose emotions just like swing so rapidly and like errantly. Oh, I would 100% be psychoanalyzing Torinda if I was in this situation. I mean, I will literally ask about someone's childhood before I ask them about their favorite food. I'd be like, so what's your relationship like with your mother? That's an important one. (laughs) I love that though. Like I can't bear really surface small talk. Like I find it really uncomfortable. I always want to ask like really like personal questions and stuff but then I always feel like really awkward so I don't do either and I just come across as being really surly and unapproachable <laughs> yeah I I'm heavy into like working people out and then oh so I think that was really telling the guy that I was seeing at the start of this year he his best friend's wife was a psychoanalyst and he was like yeah I really don't like going to dinner with them because she's always trying to work me out And I was like, oh, why does that bother you? And he was like, well, I just don't like it. And I thought that was quite interesting because that's like, I don't know. Why why would you be annoyed at someone for that? I mean, if they were doing it in a way that was respectful. Yeah. Like, have you you got stuff that you haven't confronted yourself if you don't like someone else asking you about it? Yeah, like, if they're not crossing boundaries, I don't feel like it's something that you should feel particularly, like, uncomfortable about. Like, um, obviously, everybody has, like, different levels of what they're sort of comfortable discussing, and especially people they don't know that well. But I also feel like if somebody's, like, trying to work you out, it just means they're trying to get to know you a little bit better and trying to figure out, like, how you like to be talked to and what kind of things you like and, like, who you are as a person. Which, like, I fucking love when people figure out who I am. Yeah, this so this was the interesting thing, you know, to me, I was like, hang on, you don't like that they're trying to understand you. Yeah. Like, it seems very odd to me. Yeah, like, would they just prefer it if they made absolutely no effort to get to know them as a person? Interesting. <laughs> Sonia, oh God, so this is really, I. this was like a brief moment, but Sonia literally compares to, compares her divorce to Dorinda and Richard's situation again it's a bit of like a kind of moment she does this quite frequently and I just don't understand it like she obviously took that divorce so hard that she really does like think it's comparable to a death I mean this would really piss me off though if I was Dorinda oh, I'd be furious but I also don't understand why considering the conversation that Ramona and Sonia had like earlier in the episode where they both agreed that Dorinda was being really unfair why she's like suddenly really sloppily like jumping to Dorinda's defence, like, having a go at Tinsley about all this. I think Sonia still has unresolved shit with Tinsley from the whole townhouse incident. Yeah, so she just takes any sort of opportunity when she can to sort of vent some of those feelings. 
Dorinda says she doesn't have the bandwidth to mother, which I felt we relate to quite a bit. <laughs> Absolutely. There is no time and no, I don't have the emotional range for that. <laughs> Lacking in energy to mother someone. And then she's got this quite wild testimonial look that was serious Eurovision vibes, like a silver sequin shirt. <laughs> it was very sort of like somewhere between Elton John and Eurovision, wasn't it? It was a bit Liberace as well, where it's just the wrong side of tack. I I didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I was not feeling this look. Oh, I thought it was quite fun. I think, again, it needed to be like a richer colour, but... Yeah, I think it was maybe the sort of silvery colour that put me off. And so then Tinsley decides that she's going to climb a tree to solve all of her problems. <laughs> I mean, it did look seriously cathartic. It did, to be fair. I mean, Leah is the friend that we all want in these situations, but I just couldn't cope with the idea of, like, Tinsley climbing this, like, fucking sapling. Like, it wasn't a tree, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, she was, like, barely five feet off the ground. <laughs> Yeah, you could tell Leo was, like, not very impressed. (laughs) I just love that Lou just sort of wandered over and just really gracefully just helped herself to one of the orchard's apples. I I like this scene. I felt like from Lou in the bushes to Tinsley in the trees, kind of the cycle of life was complete in some way. (laughs) Heavy, heavy agree with that. So they all get in the truck for a hayride and as it starts moving, do you know what it reminded me of? One of those little trains that goes around a shopping centre. Oh my God, yes, like around the metro centre or whatever. And it's like (laughs) just full of children like spilling out the sides of it. Two miles an hour. (laughs) I mean, it did look, it looked like it should have been fun, but if it was going like at least triple speed, it would have been far better. Because I imagine the novelty of that wore off like real quick. Yeah, and then Sonia just going, women of our calibre need to go faster. (laughs) I also love the guy who's like, he's the owner and he's rich. Look at his shit. She is fully chatting up the man in flannel. (laughs) She's dreaming that one day these orchards will all be hers. (laughs) She wants to be with the corn king. (laughs) If that (laughs) man go by the corn king he's doing something wrong (laughs) (laughs) Ramona and Dorinda feel attacked by the suggestion of a maze because they kind of see it as a wide metaphor for their collective crises which was funny (laughs) (laughs) it never ceases to amaze me the depth that these women will go and then I also loved when they were in the actual maze Sonia just grabs a corn on the cob and she's like I'm friends with the owner it's fine (laughs) yeah it's like, okay, you just had a five-minute conversation with him. Yeah, and the entire five minutes was just screeching about his acres. <laughs> I'm fairly convinced you don't know what his name is. But also, don't you need to cook corn before you eat it? <laughs> like, Faith, sometimes it's not about how many hectares he owns, okay? Sometimes it's about the vibe. <laughs> Oh, God. Would you be into doing a corn maze as, like, a pastime? So I think I'd like to give it a go. I did a big hedge maze once at um, Anik Gardens. Mm-hmm. And whilst in theory it was fun, I also started to feel very claustrophobic very quickly. But also because I lot, like I was, like, my, left my parents at the entrance. And I was like, oh, I'll go do this. So I was, like, 
by myself in this place lost (laughs) see I think it would stress me out I think the loss of control would be nightmarish to me yeah I feel like it's a really great idea in theory I think for the first maybe five to ten minutes I'd be super into the challenge of it and then after a while once I realized that I truly had no control over this in the same way then yeah I'd be out no bueno no I think I just hate the idea that if you decide to give up you can't because you're still stuck in the fucking maze yeah you can't get airlifted out yeah it's not like they can just be like oh I'll just send a chopper to come get you (laughs) so Sonia pees in the corn because look it is better than getting a UTI I mean it is we've all been there and it is certainly preferable Uh, and then Dorinda back at back outside of the maze they kind of peace out on the maze idea Dorinda's kind of worried that she hurt John she says that he'll always have a seat at her table I know and I do kind of love that phrase like I think it is a nice mature way to to look at it and you know we both have a a mature end to a relationship (laughs) I feel like we spend so much time on this like (laughs) wistfully being like oh I just love how they've dealt with their breakup (laughs) More so than we do the actual relationships. I know, I was never that fussed about the relationship, but a good, solid, healthy breakup. I'm like, yes, I'm so here for it. I don't know what that says about us. (laughs) It's probably best not to think about it too hard. (laughs) Probably best just to compartmentalise that and just put it in a box and not acknowledge it from here on out. (laughs) So everyone. They're now doing, is it a cider wine tasting or is it a cider tasting? I'm not sure. I don't know what cider wine is. I don't know if it's a thing. Have I just made that up? Quite possibly, but I don't know. But they're tasting something. Yeah, okay. So I I don't know. They're tasting something. The guy from the orchard is making some very convoluted metaphors about New York City, where he's like, it's sharp, it's focused, but it's playful. (laughs) Sonia's getting very vulgar. She also gets elbow deep in the cheese, which was such a mood. Oh, God. As a non-cheese eater, cannot relate. No, Lou, I did not know this about you. I No, I eat halloumi and mozzarella, but other than that, like, I'm not a cheese person. Oh, my God, no. Let me give me, like, a nice, nice creamy blue cheese over anything. Oh, I had blue cheese once, and I... So I'm very much for, like, trying anything. Yeah. My ex was like, why don't you just try this? And I'm like okay I will and I I vomited it in the sink oh no I mean if it's coming in reverse it'll definitely do that for you <laughs> I was, yeah I was retching I think it was kind of stupid because I've always been like mild cheeses only i.e mozzarella halloumi that's basically oh mascarpone I can do and um, <laughs> cream cheese I can do so I don't know why I thought I'd like ramp straight up to a blue cheese yeah but... you kind of creep up to that level <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it was an acquired taste and I kind of tried to skip the part where I actually acquire it. (laughs) (laughs) And like with things like olives and caviar as well. Oh yeah, you see, I I didn't used to like olives as a child. Now I can't live without them. Yeah, I'm the same. It's really weird. I used to be like such a fussy, fussy child. Like I'd never had like a pizza until I was like 16. Like, so even the last two years, I actually like pasta. But even as a child, like, I was super into, like, olives and calamari and things like that, where it was, like, really obscure foods that most people are grossed out by. I was like, yeah, give me all of those, but I really don't want your beans on toast. Oh, that's wild. It was very strange. I don't really know how it came about. 
You're so quirky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm weird and relatable. (laughs) So they're around the table and there's a lot of like size chat going on. Yeah, it was really, really strange. I don't understand the wine guy's like weird comparison about the like naked male body. Yeah, what did he say? I can't remember the exact words of it. I didn't get a chance to write them down. But he was like going on about how it's horrible to look at, but it's like it's it's a must kind of thing. And then somehow that segued into Lou talking about dick pics. But I don't know if they were talking about the same thing or if that's just what she took from it. Yeah, it was it was a bit strange. I mean, I just feel like it's just not true that people who are less well endowed are worse in bed. It's such a false narrative. And I was annoyed at Leah for like playing into this. I know I was as well because it is. I mean, it's no accounting for. I usually actually find that if if men just generally have like an overly sized penis, they try less hard because they think they don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It's like when you like it's like when a guy's like really, really, really hot and he thinks that's all he needs to be good in bed. And it's like <laughs> Yeah, I mean like thrilled that you're here, obviously. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you're gonna put in some graft anytime soon or should I just leave? <laughs> oh god, I hate like that one sidedness is just the absolute worst thing. It's horrendous. When you feel like you're putting on like a full ten out of ten like Broadway show and they're just lying there like yeah I mean I'm not quite on the Tinsley camp of being like can it just be about loving someone and respecting them (laughs) which I think was probably the worst thing that's been said all season (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I I don't quite think that like but I do think you can have great sex with someone smaller absolutely and then Elise and Dorinda are having a PG-13 conversation in the background where they're like, I just want to be held, you know? So essentially, Sonia is pre-lockdown me and Elise is me now. <laughs> and Lou will be at the end where you're just like, I don't want a fucking dick pic. What am I going to do with a dick pic? <laughs> yeah, and then Leah was saying that she likes to get them because she likes to check out the goods in advance. So I was like, oh. I mean... Okay. I always feel like that's such a red flag. If anyone tries to send me any nonsense, that means like a very big no-no. Especially like, well, it always would be unsolicited with me, but. Yeah, I'm the same. Like I literally, I don't care for a dick pic. I don't understand why people want them. And it is so much worse when like they're completely unsolicited. Like somebody sent me one on Instagram once, like in my like messages. And it was horrendous so I did what any normal person would do and I sent it to my two best guy friends and we spent four hours at the pub drawing various pictures on top of it so we moved into a hot dog an alien being abducted um a cowboy I think it was a pilgrim at one point (laughs) and then we made a group chat and added him into it and sent them all to him (laughs) a faith that's such a power move did you know this person no never met him before in my life but was it someone like in the northeast I don't think so. I think they lived like in, they're definitely from the UK. I can't remember if they're from the Northeast or whether they were from like more Midlandsy. But yeah, we had like no mutual friends or anything like that. So yeah, I was just like, well, fine. If you, if you think this is okay, then you're going to get it right back to you. Oh my God. And when did they react? He just kept leaving the group chat. So we just kept making new ones and adding them to them. <laughs> we literally did this for about six hours and then we were just like, oh, the fun's gone now. That's it. Hopefully you'll not do that again. 
Oh my God. I had a situation where I, I got talking to this guy on the train and he was quite nice. And then he, he said that I was really pretty, but really scary. And I was like, that's the best compliment I've ever received. Um, so we, this was like, I think it was like late on a Saturday night and I was coming up from London back up to Newcastle. And he was like, Hey, like when we get back to Newcastle, do you want to go for a drink? And I was genuinely like, yeah, I do. Like we spent three hours talking. He was a nice guy. So then he, oh, he added me on Instagram and I added him back. But then obviously because, you know, as a woman, you're always trying to make sure that things are safe. I was like, oh, I'm just going to pop to the loo. And I just thought, well, I've got his name now. So like, I'll just do a quick scan on Facebook and like check him out kind of thing. So I went to the loo. I typed his name into Facebook. He's fully got a girlfriend of like three years. No. 37 mutual friends with his girlfriend. Oh my God. Like people that basically are in the building with me. That is my studio. So like loads of mutual friends. So I was like, what fucking prick. So I basically just came back, picked up my bag as soon as we got back to Newcastle and just walked off, like (laughs) give any explanation or anything. But then he kept messaging me on Instagram and I was just like ignoring it, ignoring it. And then eventually he was like, oh, I really want to send you something, but I'm just debating whether I should. And I was out in Manchester at the time and I was at the football and we had been drinking and I was with this guy and like all of his mates. And I was like, oh my God, like Tom, look at what this person's just sent me. Like, what should I say? And he was like, yeah, tell him to send it. And then he literally sent me a dick pic and it was just like, oh my oh, God, it was awful. But then we all like screamed because it was there were, like seven of us. At the football. We were like, oh no, <laughs> why would you do that? But, and then part of me is like, because my friend was like oh you should tell his girlfriend and I was like well maybe I should but a I don't really like confrontation b what if she turns around and is like why were you talking to my boyfriend or why did you have him on Instagram yeah you know I mean not that I had engaged him in conversation but you know I I was just like nah like this is on him like it sucks for her but it's not really my like moral duty to yeah, I mean, I've done that once before where somebody that I was, like, like dating, and as far as I, like, it was when I was much younger, but was in front of my face getting with somebody else who <gasps> I had a boyfriend, and I was literally so livid, so I just messaged a boyfriend and was just like, FYI. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where, like, it didn't make me feel any better, it presumably didn't make him feel any better, and I mean, on the moral standpoint, like, yeah, I guess he'd rather know, but also if it was me, I'd be like, mistrustful of those kind of messages that just came through from like social media so it probably wouldn't get anywhere anyway so my official viewpoint now is just like who can be asked (laughs) that's the thing I was just like I'm just gonna disengage with this but I just think that's such a wild like escalation yeah just he he used to like react to my stories or whatever because I had like unfollowed him but my profile's not on private yeah but then he just sent me that one day, like, literally out of nowhere. I just don't understand when there's no, like, like lead up to it or any kind of, like, context for it where he might even think it's appropriate to ask to send you that. Like, if you literally just fucking ignored him for, like, God knows how long. And he's like, I know what will get you to talk to me. A picture of my penis. It, it's, there is no thought process behind it. Like, what girl would be like, OMG, man of my dreams, yeah. I see you. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no wedding has ever started with a fucking dick pic. No, so that's why I was surprised that Leah says she, like, insists on them. Because, like I say, to me, that's such a red flag, especially if you're, like, online dating. Yeah, same. Like, I just find that a really bizarre sort of, like, prerequisite. Like, pre-date, must see your penis. (laughs) Yeah, imagine if someone asked you for, like, nudes before you met them. I want to make sure you're hot enough before I go out with you. I'd be furious. Yeah, I wasn't into Leah's vibe on this. This is one thing that we can disagree on. Uh-huh, 100%. Then we get into the preview. Oh. Leah's not into how heated things got at the orchard. No. And also, now Ramona is on the... <laughs> just when she was saying this episode that she was just pleased she wasn't the one on Rinda's uh, receiving end of her viciousness. Now it looks like it's Ramona's turn. <laughs> yeah. They're doing yoga, they're trying to detox the wine from their systems. And then the one thing that I am excited for is they go to a Russian sauna to go oh and they get beaten by those shrubs in the little cloche hats. I have always, always wanted to try that. Like I've had one sort of similar when we went to Turkey, um, where it was one where it's like they kind of get like the great big loofah things and like scrub you down and stuff. And it was incredible. But I'd love one of the proper Russian ones. The Russian one looks very aggressive to me. It does. It's kind of like when you get sports massages and it's like you feel amazing afterwards, but every second of it during is hell. Okay, I've never had a sports massage. Oh my God, don't do it, Lou. (laughs) I I got myself a massage for my birthday last year, but I just went to like a little cheap place in town and it was really nice um, until like the woman was making small talk, which I don't massively mind, but also like I'd rather just not have to make the effort of conversation right now but then she starts going um Newcastle's changed a lot recently hasn't it past few years and I was kind of like oh well you know I've only really lived here for like three four years so I mean I I guess she's like lots of foreigners coming in and I was like oh no no you spoiled it get off me (laughs) yeah and then I was like cool I'm paying a racist yeah (laughs) <laughs> to come on my back God, I fucking hate that <laughs> it's not very relaxing why I literally just never ever like people talking to me when I get anything like that I can get like a facial or a massage on my head and anything I literally I hate the small talk I hate the people like asking you about your holidays or like slipping in little like comments like that because I'm just doing like oh I hate you I'm tensing out than when I came in do you know what I really want to get when lockdown's over what I want to be dermaplaned <gasps> me too oh my god it looks amazing I've been watching Instagram videos of it the amount of dead yeah. skin that comes off oh my god it looks so satisfying I wish there was like a way that you could do it at home I know I keep seeing like things where it's like do it at home like kits and stuff but they're all kind of like razory and I'm like I'm not comfortable with that <laughs> No, I no, it would stress me out too much, I think. I'd probably end up with like a full like leather face Texas chainsaw massacre situation where I just peel <laughs> my own skin off. So it's best to just leave it to the professionals. I've always fancied like a, a semi-cool facial scar, but I think uh, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, maybe self-inflicted wounds is not the way to go. <laughs> Definitely not. I rock my uh like chest scars already, so Yeah, I've got my little back one and that's enough for me. <laughs> Well, we got plenty. We got yeah. plenty. Well, that was 
an episode. I mean, I think it's interesting to see that Dorinda and Ramona are the ones that are going to be kind of sparring. Um, at least I feel like Ramona's got more resilience to kind of push back against it. Yeah, I feel like she can stand up for herself a lot more. I mean, we got to see that clip of her kicking her out anyway. So I'm actually very excited to watch that unfold. Yeah, and we have the finale of Vanderpump. I know, I can't believe it's finale time. I mean, I can't actually, thinking about it. It feels like it's been on for about four years. <laughs> Old man Jax. <laughs> I just love how Charlie acts like they're also geriatric. Yeah, she has no time for it, all does she? <laughs> oh, it's really good, it's really good. I, I think the finale app's going to be decent, like, I hope so. I always have a good party with them all, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. So if you want to follow Faith, keep up to date with what she's doing, you can follow her at Faith underscore Elizabeth on Instagram. She's got two H's in the Faith. Um, Also, you can actually just click on the description of this episode and there's a direct link through that as well. So that might be the easiest thing to do. Um, You can stay up to date with her written work on our website, www.faithrichardson.co.uk. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at Lou G. Rogers, on Twitter at Louisa G. Rogers, full name on Twitter, and <laughs> www.louisarogers.net. See you next week. Bye.